In today's scripture reading, we hear the story of a community meal. I know it's been some time since any of us have had the opportunity to have lots of people over, let alone to have eaten a meal unmasked with acquaintances so close by. So this story is not only removed to us by its culture and its time, but also by its circumstance. Rest assured that the lesson Jesus offers while he is at this meal is applicable far beyond the social etiquette of hosting parties, and, is, and it speaks deeply to the cost as well as the reward of following Jesus. Jesus is invited to a Sabbath meal by a prominent religious leader, and he was being carefully watched, the scripture says. Jesus, however, was also carefully observant of those who he had gathered with, and he noticed some things. He noticed how people stumbled over each other, seeking the seats of honor near the host. He noticed that the people invited to this meal were all of a certain sort, religious, respectable. The man he healed at the beginning of this passage, he was not a guest. He laughed after being healed. This being a Sabbath meal, it was the kind of place where you didn't invite people who could jeopardize the religious purity and ritual purity of the meal or the guests. And you also didn't, didn't invite the kind of people who were likely to decline your invitation either. You invited people who you knew you could count on to show up, who you could count on to act appropriately. That was the best way to have a good meal, the most reliable way to have an enjoyable party, and the best way to make sure that you stayed the kind of respectable sort that I'm sure this prominent leader imagined himself to be. Social protocol was very important in this culture, and it remains important in certain times, places, and contexts in our culture as well. In a courtroom, you don't address the judge by her first name. No, you say, your honor. At a wedding, certain couples and pairings of people traditionally dance before the rest of the guests. And people of certain high offices spend most of their time speaking with people on a similar level and stature to themselves. Recently in the news, the American president indicated he would not speak to the crown prince of Saudi Arabia because it is not the crown prince, but rather it is the king that is his counterpart. So these protocols, they continue to exist in our culture, but we're just not as attuned to them. The ancient Near East, as much of the Eastern world remains to this day, was an honor-shame society. You avoid shame and you seek out honor. Jesus does not contradict these core values as he speaks to those gathered for this meal. Rather, he challenges them to consider new ways of behaving to more fully avoid shame and to more rightly discover honor, to not elevate oneself and instead to allow oneself to be elevated by another, to not stumble into shame by being too presumptuous about what you deserve, in acting out humility first, there is no risk of further shame, and yet still the possibility of honor being shared. Indeed, Jesus says to the guests, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This isn't just about dinner parties. This is about life. And in life as at dinner parties, it is not the guests that determine the seating order. We don't determine our lot. It is the host who seats his guests. And it is our God who raises the lowly and humbles the proud. Jesus offers very sound advice to the guests at this meal. It's the kind of advice that's present in the book of Proverbs. It's offered by other rabbis in and around the time of Jesus. And it was common in Hellenistic social etiquette. But then he turns his attention to the host of the meal, to the prominent Pharisee, and he moves from worldly wisdom that was suspiciously missing from those present at the meal to the kind of invitation to heavenly wisdom that only Jesus can offer. He says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and then you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus challenges his host to a kind of blessedness that is present in giving without the possibility of reciprocity. And somebody chirps up, maybe sitting down near the end of the table, somebody who wants to be involved in this conversation, chirps up and says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Probably overly religious. Blessed is the one who will receive the good things that God has in store. And Jesus doesn't dispute this. Of course, happy and blessed are those who will feast in the kingdom. But this interlocutor has tried to sum up the conversation, and he's completely missed the point. The blessing is in the giving and not in the receiving. The good thing to be enjoyed is the thing that is the best facsimile of that coming kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus responds with a story, as he so often does, the parable of the great banquet. A certain man had invited many guests to his banquet, and when he sent his servant to gather them, they all alike began to make excuses. Nobody is coming. Nobody is coming. This is a social catastrophe. This is tremendous shame on the host. Now, a lot of writing has been done about just how poor these excuses are. Having bought a field you've never seen, having bought oxen without trying them out first, a sudden and unexpected wedding in this culture is very unlikely. But let's you and I agree to be charitable. Let's assume that each of these excuses are genuine. The examples that Jesus chooses in this parable are the very things of all of our lives, property and occupation and family. What you own, what you do, who you're related to. These are the vast majority of the excuses that we give for anything, and these are in fact the chief challenges to participating in and enjoying the work of God's kingdom. When we can visit the sick, 
when we are able to care for our neighbor and to provide for those who are wanting and we fail to do so, we are in fact declining an invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. For reasons like a field that, if not already inspected, can yet be inspected tomorrow. Like oxen who, untried now, can still be seen in the morning. For family who can surely be guests and participants with us in the good invitations that are before us. As Jesus says to the crowds right after he tells this parable, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, yes, their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Even if these excuses are true, even if they are good excuses, Jesus says that they are not good enough to be missing out on the banquet which these guests were invited to. But each of them was too important, too busy elevating themselves and finding a reason to decline this invitation rather than to see the good that it would be for them to go and to eat and to enjoy. Friends, We live in a city where people are busy. We live in a culture where busy is valued and busy is important, but none of us are too busy. None of us are too important. None of us have too many responsibilities to be faithful followers of Jesus. Not only is this true because he's God and we're not, This is also true because it is only in a life of following Jesus that we find our greatest fulfillment, our truest purpose. You, we, are better spouses, friends, parents, children, students, and co-workers. We're better at whatever it is we're doing and all the relationships that we have when we are actively choosing to accept the invitations that God is offering to us to walk closer in Jesus' way, and to enjoy the feast that is set before us even now. I am a better pastor to you when you know that I am not too busy for a call. I am not too inconvenienced by your emails. I am not too important to be interrupted by something joyful or sorrowful in your life. That, in fact, in coming alongside of you, I am a better follower of Jesus than when my schedule is too full or my heart is too burdened to care for you. So that's these guests. But what about the host? The host, faced with the shame of a banquet with no guests, He invites those same people who Jesus has instructed his host to invite to his next banquet. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Jesus is saying that this man ought to be like God. Ought to invite the kinds of people that God invites. Taking it just a step further, Jesus is saying that this man ought to enact today what he knows will be the future feast of the kingdom of God. We ought to enact today 
those things which we are hoping for. The Christian life is, or it ought to be, the very rehearsal of things that are yet to come. We can't do it perfectly yet, but we know the good kingdom that our hearts long for, and until that day when we experience it fully, we should be experiencing as much of it as we can. We should find ourselves as close to it as we can be. If at that future feast it is the poor and the lowly who will be at God's table, how much more should we want the very ones who will be guests of God to be guests of ours today? What a privilege. What a joy. When we have communion in just a few minutes, we will do so with the desire and in faith that what we experience at Jesus' table in the world today will in some ways be shaping, forming, and preparing us for what we will see and enjoy at Jesus' table in the world that is to come. So having invited everyone from the streets and alleys of the town, the host desires that his house would be full and sends the servant out to the highways and the country roads to compel more people to come in. And that word compel, it, it makes us uncomfortable sometimes. It makes us nervous. But probably what's happening with the word compel there is something similar to what some in our community know. Our, our Persian friends would call this practice taruf, taruf. It would be customary to politely decline an invitation, even if you really wanted to accept it, to decline it in humility, and then for the other person to insist, no, really, you should have this. No, really, you should come. No, really, let me pay. And then you would decline it again. And eventually, through this dance, the social position of each person is negotiated. The offer is better understood. Humility and desire to serve the other is enforced in a traditional, ritualistic way. This is probably the kind of thing that's happening here. Imagine a great host has invited you, has invited me to a banquet. There must be some mistake. I can't possibly deserve this invitation. I can't possibly reciprocate this invitation. But there has been no mistake. And so the master says to compel them, to take them by the hand, to insist beyond all their protesting, to help them to see and to know that this banquet really is for them, that they really have been invited, that it really is good. The final line of this parable is interesting because the you, as Jesus says, I tell you, is plural. This seems to be breaking from the parable. Jesus is now speaking to the guests who are gathered around him at that Sabbath meal again. This is not the master in the parable speaking to his servant, which would have been a singular you. Jesus has broken through the story and made it clear that he is the host of the feast in God's kingdom, that he tells those who are listening to him that not one of those invited guests will taste his banquet. Now this sounds perhaps like a harsh word of exclusion, maybe confirming the fear that many have that God maliciously excludes some people. 
But what this parable is pointing to is that the invitation of God is lavish. Those guests who are now excluded were once invited, and they chose not to come. God's invitation leaves no one out. But the parable helps us to also see that some people choose something else that they think is more important in the moment. And because of that, they end up missing out on the very things of the kingdom of God. In preferring their life on their terms, they have made themselves unworthy guests of their host, unworthy disciples of their Lord, and have made an excuse for themselves instead of accepting the invitation of a lifetime. There's a story of the early church under persecution in Rome, and one of the deacons in Rome was a man named Lawrence. And as a deacon, St. Lawrence was responsible for taking collection for the church and distributing that collection to the poor. And one day, the treasures of the church were demanded by the prefect of Rome. And Lawrence asked for time to go and collect the treasure and bring it to the prefect. And he goes back to the prefect with a mass of people. And he says, behold in these persons, behold in these poor persons, the treasures which I promised to show you. Now, there's a literal truth to this. The treasures were dispersed in support of these poor people. That's literally where the treasure has gone. But it's also figuratively true. The poor are the treasure of the church. They are the treasure of the church because they will be the guests of God's coming kingdom. They will be the guests at Jesus' feast. And so they are also our treasured friends. Lawrence was martyred for so angering the prefect, but in this image, he shows us the goodness of the church, the meaning of Jesus' encouragement to his host, and he confirms the promise of Jesus' parable. Today, you might need to know that you have been invited by Jesus into a good and joyful thing. If that's where you're at, hear his lavish invitation to join his feast until the day when it comes in its fullness. But maybe you've known that you're invited for some time, and you need to be challenged to not be making excuses anymore for why you can't participate in what God is doing even now. That all of your excuses, all of our excuses, pale in comparison to the goodness of the thing that God has called us to. And perhaps you've been working and doing work that you call God's work for some time. But somewhere along the way, you forgot to invite along with you and to offer care for the people that God has been inviting and caring for all along. To you, Jesus encourages you to be as God is, to find yourself surrounded by the people God is surrounding himself with. However, this story needs to speak to you today Know that it's about more than the guest list to your next dinner party after this pandemic. Rather, it's about all of our very lives. So truly, in our lives and by our prayers, may God's kingdom come. Amen. We want to invite you to discern God's voice speaking to you through this parable and this sermon And so we have a couple of reflection questions for you to chat about, pray about, journal about.
and to take with you through your week. The first question is, how are you tempted to exalt yourself? What would it look like for you to choose to humble yourself? And the second question is, what things in your life often seem more important or more interesting than celebrating the coming of God's kingdom? We'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect on these things.